If you can believe this, ladies and gentlemen, it has been 30 magical episodes of this wonderful podcast, and we're still going strong on a Tuesday. So uh, we are continuing on. We're pushing through, even though our little hiccup that we had last Friday, um, 30 episodes down, guys. This is great. We have almost made it to our 260 episodes. We're like practically halfway there. Anyway, with that being said, I'm Kevin, and let's dive into some of the news stories that we're going to talk about today. The first piece of news that we have is on the Philippines and their relationship with the United States and being militarized, and how that is going to work. Some new decisions that the Filipino uh, president has made uh, regarding the presence of U.S. military. Our second piece of news has to do with um, some refugees, Rohingya refugees, coming to Bangladesh. Some sad news that we hear about in the Bay of Bengal. Our third piece of news has to do with Nike, the sportswear and shoe brand, and how there's been some extortion going on with its stock pricing, and how that could affect the company negatively. And with our last piece of news today, of course we want to talk about the coronavirus and some of the new um, numbers that are coming in in regards to the deaths, how many people have caught it, and what other actions are being taken to control this virus. So with that being said, you are listening to A Mention with Kevin. Let's begin. So for our first piece of news, the Philippine... Oh, well, before we start, let's just remember, ladies and gentlemen, that this is episode 30. You are listening to February 11th, 2020's episode. So let's get into it now. The Philippines notified the United States on Tuesday it would end a major security pact allowing American forces to train in the country. In the most serious threat under President Rod. Rodrigo Duarte uh, to their 69-year treaty alliance. Foreign Secretary Theodoro Lucine Jr. said in a tweet that Manila's notice of termination of the Visiting Forces Agreement, VFA, was received by the Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Manila. The termination would take effect after 180 days unless both sides agree to keep the pact. Locks in signed the, the notice on the order of Duarte, uh, who was often criticized U.S. security policies while praising those of China and Russia, despite the Philippine military's close historic ties with its U.S. counterpart. The U.S. Embassy in Manila acknowledged receipt of the notice and said Washington will carefully consider how best to move forward to advance our shared interests. This is a serious step with significant implications for the U.S.-Philippines alliance, the embassy told, uh, said in a statement. Sorry, Our two countries enjoy a warm relationship, deeply rooted in history. We remain committed to the friendship between our two people. In a, a Senate hearing last week, Lawson warned that 
abrogate, abrogating the 1998 Security Accord with Washington would undermine Philippine security and foster aggression in the disputed South China Sea. U.S. military presence in the strategic waterway has been seen as crucial counterweight to China, which claims virtually the entire sea. Lawson proposed a review of the agreement to fix contentious issues, including criminal jurisdictions over earring American troops, instead of abrogating it. Philippine defense and military officials did not immediately issue any reaction to the government move. Duarte threatened to terminate the security agreement after Washington reportedly canceled the U.S. visa of a loyal ally, Senator Ronald Del Rosa, who was linked to human rights violations when he first encountered the president's deadly anti-drug crackdown as the national police chief in 2016. Thousands of mostly poor suspects have been killed under the bloody campaign, which has alarmed Western governments and human rights watchdogs. Duarte gave the U.S. a month to restore Del Rosa's visa, but U.S. officials have not publicly reacted to the Philippines' leader's demand. Duarte said in a speech late Monday that U.S. President Donald Trump has moved to save the agreement, but added that he rejected the idea. He accused the U.S. of meddling in Philippine affairs, including seeking the release of opposition Senator Leila de Lima, whom he has accused of involvement of involvement in illegal drugs. She was dismissed the allegation as a fabricated charge meant to muzzle dissent. America is a very rude, they are so rude, Duarte said. Lawson, outlined in the Senate hearing, said what he said were the crucial security, trade, and economic benefits that the accord provides. The U.S. is a longtime treaty ally, a major trading partner, and the largest development aid provider to the Philippines. The accord, known by its acronym VFA, legally allows the entry of large number of American forces along the US military ship and aircraft for joint training with Filipino troops. It specifically uh, it specifies which country will have jurisdiction over American soldiers who may be accused of crimes while in the Philippines, a sensitive issue in the former American colony. A separate defense pact subsequently signed by the Allies in 2014, the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Act, allows the extended stay of U.S. forces and authorizes them to build and maintain barracks, warehouses, and store defense equipment and weapons inside five designated Philippine military camps. A Filipino senator and former National Police Chief Panfilo Lascon, uh, Laxon said terminating the treaty would reduce the two allies, 1951 Mutual Defense Treaty, to a mere paper treaty as far as the U.S. is concerned. U.S. Senator Department Assistant Secretary R. Clark Cooper said in a telephone news conference Monday that abrogating the pact would put a risk of more than 300 military engagements, including joint training this year between the allies. All the engagements, all the freedom of the navigation operations, all the exercises, all the joint training, having U.S. military personnel in port on the ground, on the flight line, does require that we have a mechanism that allows that, he said. That's why the VFA is so important. Terminating the VFA would affect the joint exercises and other activities with U.S. forces, which the Philippine military and law enforcement agencies need to enhance their capabilities in countering threats to national security. 
Lawson said. The U.S. provided more than 550 million U.S. dollars in security assistance uh, to the Philippines from 2016 to 2019. Lawson said, adding that there have been a chilling effect on our economy relationships if the Philippines draws down its security alliance with Washington. American forces have provided intelligence, training, and aid that allow the Philippines to deal with human trafficking, cyber attacks, illegal narcotics, and terrorism, Lawson said, citing how the U.S. military assistance helped Filipino forces quell a disastrous siege by Islamic State group-aligned militias in southern Marawi City in 2017. U.S. military presence in the South China Sea also has been a a deterrent to aggressive actions in the dispute waters, Lawson said. China, the Philippines, Vietnam, and three other governments have rival claims in the strategic waterway. Duarte first threatened to abrogate the VFA in late 2016 after a U.S. aid agency put on hold funds for anti-poverty projects in in the Philippines. He was walked back on such threats, but his government's actions on Tuesday is the most serious indication of his intent to set back military ties with the United States. So, very interesting news this is um, to hear this. Obviously, the Filipino government is trying to work out kind of a deal here where one of their diplomats can kind of go abroad and work on visa. Maybe they're a little bit offended of this. And so they would like this uh, visa ban kind of flipped over so that they can allow that official to go through and kind of save face, I guess. Um, But yeah, this is very interesting. It's very interesting for the Philippines to make such a proposition, especially because they're kind of in a vulnerable state. Um, If you know anything about what is happening in the, it's called the South China Sea. Um, It is technically a territorial battle for who owns Uh, territory within the ocean. Uh, China having the largest military has been trying to push on these other nations, such as uh, Vietnam um, and some of the other ones, like Indonesia, I believe, is in there as well. And I think there might be some other smaller countries as well that are trying to um, claim territory within the South China Sea or just areas of ocean because it can't really be charted out. Obviously, the Chinese want to exploit this, and they want to use this for their own benefit, uh, I believe, for drilling oil or making strategic uh, military strongholds. I've heard that they've made a couple of islands that are fortified. Um, But yeah, with that, it's interesting to see that the Filipinos are so adamant that America kind of (laughs) bend to their will when they really need America's help to help enforce their territory themselves and ensure that China doesn't encroach anymore in these waters. Um, they don't have such a large military and when the help with the United States and keeping good allies with them, I feel like it is a good deterrent. But it's interesting that they make this move. We'll see how the U.S. reacts and I will update you guys if anything changes in this regard. So, with our second piece of news, an overcrowded boat carrying about 125 Rohingya, uh, Rohingya refugees from Bangladeshi camps sank early this morning in the Bay of Bengal leaving at least 16 dead, Bangladeshi officials said today. The Coast Guard, Navy divers, and other rescuers recovered the bodies of 14 women, one child, and a man after the wooden boat capsized off St. Martin's Island, 
the top elected official on the island told the Associated Press. Noor Ahmed told AP by phone from the scene that some 62 refugees on the boat survived. They were wooed by traffickers to get on the boat from various points as it was heading for Malaysia, he said. Iqbal Hossein, additional police superintendent in Cox Bazaar, said by phone the overcrowding of the boat had caused it to capsize and it may have been carrying additional cargo as well. Hossein said the bodies were sent to nearby Sa Parir Island and the rescue operation was continuing, but he would not give an exact figure of how many still remained missing. Traffickers usually lure refugees by promising a better life overseas. Many past attempts to travel illegally by boat were thwarted by coastal guards. More than 700,000 Rohingya Muslims fled to Bangladesh from neighboring Myanmar to flee a harsh crackdown by Myanmar's military since August 2017. We've talked about this before, how Facebook kind of had a, a grasp in this kind of uh, propaganda and they kind of had a negative effect in causing this kind of um, refugee situation and almost genocide. Myanmar has long claimed the Rohingya are Bengali, migrants from Bangladesh, even though their families have lived in the country for generations. Nearly all have been denied citizenship since 1982, effectively, effectively rendering them stateless. So, um, it's very sad to see this, that they're trying to take some other steps in terms of trying to better their lives, and uh, it looks like trying to make their way to um, Malaysia. And so, unfortunately, this boat capsized, and they, they were not able to survive. Uh, it's very sad to see this and to see that they're still being persecuted over there. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's the UN isn't, implementing any of their troops to go in there or there's going to be a clear up and persecuting these people um i know mark zuckerberg is also working on the facebook team in myanmar um trying to filter out um any hate speech that is directed towards this people group uh, but it's just sad to see and hopefully more organizations will be able to donate assistance and resources to these people going to our third piece of news Michael Avenatti's record recorded threats to reduce the value of Nike stocks if he wasn't paid millions of dollars highlighted a prosecutor's closing argument today at the prominent lawyer's extortion trial. The taped conversation last March between Avenatti and Nike lawyers was played in Manhattan federal courts before, even before Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Podolsky spoke. On the tape, Avenatti would be heard threatening to take $5 billion or $6 billion U.S. dollars off the value of Nike stock if demands were not met. When the prosecutor spoke, he told jurors, that is what extortion sounds like. Closing arguments were in the culmination of a three-week trial for the California lawyer who gained fame representing porn star Stormy Daniels in lawsuits against President Donald Trump. For a time, the 48-year-old attorney was a frequent guest on cable television programs. Prosecutors say Avenatti threatened to use his fame to stage new conference and deliver proof that Nike executives were corrupting college basketball by funding payments to elite young players and their families unless he was paid $25 million to conduct an internal probe of the 
apparel giant. Last week, Nike attorney Scott William admitted to the court, I've never told the government there was no evidence of Nike making payments to players. At the last time, prosecutors said Avenatti faced at least $11 million in debts. His former law firm manager testified that finances were so desperate last March that several employees had been evicted from their $50,000 a month offices and were working from their homes. Defense lawyers say the government was trying to criminalize the kind of negotiations that lawyers engage in every day when they aggressively represent clients. They are expected to offer closing arguments on their, on their own later today on behalf of Avenatti, who has pleaded not guilty. In his closing, Podolsky repeatedly played rec- recorded conversations he said proved that Avenatti was working his own benefit in his dealings with Nike, rather than for the benefit of his client, Gary Frank, a, a Los Angeles amateur basketball coach. Michael Avenatti, facing a mountain of debt, saw a light at the end of the tunnel, Podolsky said. He saw a meal ticket, Gary Franklin. Franklin testified last week that he hoped that a high-profile lawyer like Avenatti would restore a decade-long sponsorship relationship between his amateur league and Nike after he got the company to punish two executives who demanded he play a role in payments to athletes' families. The prosecutor added, the evidence is clear. It is simple. The defendant used Gary Franklin's information to get some something for himself. Podolsky said, Avenatti did not tell Franklin he was demanding to be allowed to conduct an internal probe of Nike for at least $15 million before he would agree to settle Franklin's claims. On one recorded conversation played for jurors, Avenatti could be heard telling Nike lawyers, a few million dollars doesn't move the needle for me. I'll take $10 billion off your market cap. Franklin said, Franklin said last week on the stand his reaction was one of shock and horror when he learned the attorney was threatening to go public with his information. So very interesting case here of this lawyer uh, essentially blackmailing Nike in terms of what they're doing. Um, it's terrible. I'm very kind of confused of how this works. I know that um, you can't you can't sponsor kids or underage players. Um, otherwise, it's it's considered like a, under a, um, a child working law. And so they can be fined with that. Um, so this is interesting that Nike's alleging to that. I know there's a lot of scandals with basketball and with this regard. I also know that there's some information in terms of uh, like UCLA uh, being a school now where they're able to pay their college basketball players. Um so I think this is all wrapped up in this. Uh, Avenatti, I know he's kind of like a, a performer to some extent that he he makes things kind of more dramatic than they need to be. Uh, it's very interesting that he's going straight for their stocks. But uh, with that, uh, I will let you guys know if anything changes on that front. Really, I'm really more concerned about, I don't know, the legislation of governments and um, if anything will change in terms of college uh, professional athletes, I personally am in the camp that I believe that these athletes should be paid for their work. Uh, they put in a lot of hard t- uh, time to do uh, workouts, exercising, uh, eating properly, and sometimes their 
highlights of their careers are in college and they're not able to reap the benefits of the, well, the sold out arenas that the, the college makes thousands and, and millions of dollars off of. Um, so I'd like to see college athletes be paid uh, appropriately. Um, obviously, I don't know how the system would work. Obviously, there's some things that need to be put into place. But maybe this might kind of push uh, governments to kind of work a little bit harder in that regard. Anyway, with that, let's move on to our last piece of news, which is about the corona virus. Yes, you heard it right. We are doing another update on the coronavirus. I think this virus has, has started since the beginning of my podcast, and it continues to go on through episode 30. So, the coronavirus death toll in China climbed over 1,000 on Monday as the World Health Organization caution that the spread of cases outside of China would be the spark that becomes a bigger fire, and said the human race must not let the epidemic get out of control. China reported reported 108 new coronavirus deaths on the mainland on Monday, up from 97 on the previous day. The total number of deaths on the mainland has now reached 1,016, the National Health Commission said. There were 2,478 new confirmed cases on the mainland, down from 3,062 on Sunday, bringing the total to 42,638 cases. Outside China, 319 infections have been confirmed in 24 countries, with one death in the Philippines according to uh, figures released by the World Health Organization. Meanwhile, the operator of a cruise ship under quarantine while docked in Japan reported dozens of new cases. World Health Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said in recent days health officials have seen some concerning instances on onward transmission of the virus from people with no travel history to China, including cases reported in France and the United Kingdom. He said the detection of the small number of cases could be the spark that becomes a bigger fire. But for now, it's only a spark, he said. Our objective remains containment. Cooperation between nations and experts will be key to containment efforts, he said. An advanced uh, team of experts led by Canadian Dr. Bruce Alward have already arrived in Beijing. The death toll from the new virus has passed the 774 people believed to have died in the 2002 2003 Epidemic of Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or as it's otherwise known, SARS, another viral outbreak that originated in China. The uh, 42,638 cases on the mainland of the new virus far exceed the 8,098 sickened by SARS. China has built two hospitals and sent thousands of extra doctors nurses, and other healthcare workers to Wuhan, the city of 11 million people. In central China, that is the epicenter of the outbreak. Most access to Wuhan has suspended on January 23rd. Restrictions have spread to other cities with a population of 60 million people. The World Health Organization update came after the operator of the quarantine Diamond Princess cruise ship said an additional 66 cases were found aboard. The captain of the ship, however, later revised that the number was down to 65. That is an addition to 70 reported earlier. 
In a statement, Princess Cruises said that there is a Canadian among the new cases. The other sick passengers are from Australia, England, Japan, the Philippines, Ukraine, and the United States, the cruise company said. We are following guidance from the Japan Ministry of Health on plans for disembarkation protocols to provide medical care for these new cases, the statement said. The latest case raises to eight the number of Canadians aboard the Diamond Princess who have contracted, contracted the virus. The patient will join the seven other Canadians who were earlier taken to the Japanese hospitals for treatment and monitoring. Health Minister Katsunobu Kato said the Japanese government was considering testing all 3,711 uh, 3, passengers and crew on the ship, which would require them to remain aboard until results are available. Health authorities are scrambling to deliver medical requ medicine requested by more than 600 passengers. We are doing the utmost to keep everyone in good health, Cato said. The British government declared the virus a serious and imminent threat to public health, which it, is said, which it gives authorities power to forcibly detain infected people if necessary. The change comes after a British man who caught the virus in Singapore in January appeared to be linked to at least seven other confirmed cases in Europe. As of Saturday, there are seven confirmed cases of coronavirus in Canada, four in BC and three in Ontario. The Public Health Agency of Canada says the public health risk from the novel virus is low in Canada. Businesses are gradually reopening in China following the, new, the Lunar New Year holiday, which was extended to discourage travel in an attempt to contain the virus, but they face heavy losses. Yang Pang, who works for a live streaming company in Beijing, went to the office for the first time since the, two, uh, since the holidays. The company checked employees for fever and handed out masks. I thought the situation is fairly good now, Zhang said. I went to work by the subway today and underwent various checks in the station, and my company did a good job of prevent prevention and control. Iris Key, who works for an advertising company, said she plans to wait until next week to go back to work. At the Sang Yulin Market in Beijing, the Chinese capital, shoppers in face masks mixed with delivery drivers who are collecting orders of meat fruits, and vegetables. Stalls were stocked with pork, mutton, seafood, and vegetables. The number of customers here is down a lot, maybe more than half, said Louis Ying, who sells walnuts, cashews, and other specialties. But you can see a lot of people calling in orders. So we're slowly getting business back again. China Central Bank announced a 43 billion US fund to make low interest loans to producers of medicine and medical supplies of other companies involved in fighting the virus. Over the weekend, the government promised tax cuts and subsidies to farmers, supermarket producers of medical supplies, and companies that contribute to anti-disease work. China's leaders are also trying to keep food flowing to crowded cities despite the panic buy-in after most access to Wuhan and nearby cities was cut off. Consumers, consumer inflammation, uh, inflation spiked to eight-year high of 5.4% over a year earlier in January, driven by a 4.4% rise in food costs, the government reported Monday. Food prices rose 1.4% from the previous month. Organizers of the Hong Kong Arts Festival uh, on, mon on Monday 
canceled all of its more than 120 planned music, dance, and drama performances, including two concerts by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. The festival was due to start this week and run through mid-March. Meanwhile, the mother of a physician who died last week in Wuhan said in a video released Sunday she wants an explanation from authorities who reprimanded him for warning them about the virus in December. The de death of Li Wangliang, 34 years old, prompting an outpouring of public anger. Some posts left on his microblog account said officials should face consequences of mistreating him. We won't give up if they won't give us an explanation, Lu Shun Yun said in the video distributed by Pair Video, an online bro broadcast platform. The video shows flowers in her home with a note that says, Hero is immortal. Thank you. Yeah, so if you guys don't know already, the initial doctor to uh, first detect this case of the coronavirus was actually uh, contracted the virus and was reported dead by the Chinese authorities. Um, I think it was a couple of days ago. Um, so unfortunately, he passed away and this has brought a lot of panic on people as, as doctors are starting to, to die. I also have to be a little suspicious in terms of the Chinese government, in terms of what were the types of conditions that he was held in? Was he given the highest amount of medical assistance? Was he um, in good lodging or was he kind of being kept, I don't know, like um, as a prisoner or as a, as a captive at that time? Could that also been part of the reason why he passed away? Uh, we don't know. Um, unfortunately, the virus did take hold of him and he, he died. He was the one who kind of was a whistleblower on this. And I think that was a good thing. Um, something like this should have been reported so that uh, the public could be made aware. People can make the correct steps into preventing this the spread of this. Obviously, it doesn't look good within their country, but I think he did the right thing morally. Um, so it's sad to see him leave. Uh, I know that the Canadian government is still housing people in a military base in Trenton, Ontario, um, just to ensure that nobody is carrying the virus back after they they brought them all back from Wuhan and from all over China. Um so very interesting with that. Um, so far, it seems seems most of the cases are still in China. Um, we'll see if they're able to kind of give some more indications on kind of the range of um, the the death toll. I, I'm I'm very interested for some of the data of of the people who have unfortunately passed away. Uh, but th there is some curiosity to that. Um, so far, I haven't seen any reports of children or, or very young victims being affected by this virus, but much older people. So it'd be interesting to see the statistics on in this regard. Is this, uh, is this affecting a certain demographic? Uh, we don't know because a lot of this information hasn't been given. But I will let you guys know if anything is brought forth. I find this very interesting and uh, it continues to kind of go on and I hope that it will be contained soon. So with that, we are going to end our show with our advice column. And we got a short piece of advice here on a mention with Kevin. So our viewer or listener, sorry, has written in today and has said, Hi, how to tell a guy I like him over text without it being really random and how to get some hints on his feelings before I tell him. So 
you want to uh, send a text message on a person and to somebody that I'm assuming that you have feelings for or you have a crush or something like that and you want to know if he likes you before that. Well, you can do the obvious approaches, which is you could ask his friends if they think he likes you or like uh, get somebody really trustworthy to ask him that question, like a third party. Um, that could be kind of like a, a less direct way. Um, you can hang out with him in a group and see if he kind of like you do a group thing like group bowling or go play basketball together, you know, and um, when you're on the bench talking or sitting down from bowling, um, have a conversation with this person. If they tend to hold conversation and be genuinely interested with you, um, I think it's safe to say that they have feelings for you as well. Uh, but my piece of advice would be um, you send a text like this. Um, how to tell a guy I like him over text without being random. Get some time. I was just writing a text like, uh, hey, want to grab coffee sometime? Uh, question mark. Uh, and then just like have a coffee time and date set up and just do that. I, I don't think you should like skirt around this. Everybody loves coffee. And you uh, should just be yourself and ask them to coffee. Or, you know what? Actually, coffee is kind of serious nowadays, actually. Ladies and gentlemen, can I retract that? Pff, I've just thought of something way better. Ask him if you'd like to go to bubble tea with him. Get to know the person a little bit. One-on-one -on -one time, you know what I'm saying? But bubble tea is perfect. Bubble tea is like, man, it doesn't mean I like you, but it doesn't even mean it's a date. But it, but it can be interpreted as a date if, if things trying to change the bubble tea. That is the beauty of boba tea. Boba tea has that kind of power over people. So um, I'd really recommend go and grab some bubble tea with this person and figure this stuff out. Yeah, and just get it out of the way. Don't think about it too much. Don't let it kind of like take a hold of your thoughts. Um, yeah, yeah, the bubble tea is great. Anyway, with that, guys, I want to thank you again for listening to my podcast. Um, remember, if you want to ask me a question or have a comment, you can tweet at me at Kevin underscore Kobe. Um, if you want to check out my YouTube stuff, you can check me on YouTube, uh, Kevin Hobie on YouTube.com. Also, I have a secondary channel where I post just random stuff, Studio Kevin. You can check that out as well. But you guys have been awesome. I just want to remind you to brush your teeth and floss, and I will see you guys a la próxima. Ciao.